by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. There were three crosses on Calvary. On two of the crosses were thieves. And on the cross in the middle was the love of God. On two of the crosses, those men admittedly had lived their lives as thieves. They, you know what a thief's uh, way of thinking is, is I'll take from you to get to me. It's all about me. You know, I'll steal from you because I want it to be mine. I'll covet your stuff. A thief is only thinking about self. And these men had lived their lives thinking about themselves. And they even admitted on the cross, after they'd hung there a while, they said, the one said to the other, you know, me and you deserve what we're getting. Me and you earned this. But this guy hadn't done anything wrong. Jesus was the exact opposite. He lived his life thinking about others. He didn't take for himself anything. He had no place to lay his head, he said at one point. It, he didn't live his life about self. It was about others. He was the exact, it was the opposite of those two thieves. In the middle was this guy who had lived for others, and then on the outside were these two who had lived for themselves, even at the expense of others. And then these two thieves were given a choice. They could have, both could have chosen Jesus. Both of them could have been with par, in him in paradise that day, right? But only one chose Jesus. They, he saw and he recognized, I want that. I want love. Might have been kind of late to come to love, you know. He didn't get the joy of ever really getting to know Jesus, to know anything about Jesus. He didn't get the joy of seeing how Jesus went about doing good and loving all who were hated and oppressed and filled with the devil. He didn't get to see the example of love other than hanging there. Maybe he realized that, what is he doing there? Why? This guy's done no wrong. Why is he there? Jesus was there for him. He was there for the other guy, but the other guy was like, no, I'm good. I'll go to my grave thinking about me. I don't think he thought that plan out too well. Because on the other side of that, it was worse than where he left it on this earth. But that's our choice. Jesus is saying, look at my example. There's a place in the scriptures that say, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men to me. When you really think about why Jesus was lifted up on that cross, and you have a heart at all, you see that he was there for us. It was two thieves that deserved to be there, but he did not. He had done no wrong. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he that knew no sin, no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That in him, we could be considered right with God, even though we haven't lived right with God. This guy had no opportunity to prove that he was even going to try to live right for God. He just accepted and believed Christ. So, it's really quite the picture we have on Calvary, isn't it? You're living your life. You're running in your, your race, you know. Are you going to merge over into Christ's lane and be hidden in Christ before you get to the end? Are you going to love like Christ? Are you going to get the revelation that God is love? And that we should be like God? That we should be his disciples? We should learn to love instead of just thinking about self. 1 John 4.16 John says, we know how much God loves us. Do we? I think we know a little bit. <laughs> I think as Christians... It's in there, but we got to work it out. In the relationship, we learn how much God loves us. In our failings, in our mistakes, we see that he still loves us. He's long-suffering. He's patient and kind with us. He does love me. That's hard for some of us because some of us don't really know what real love looks like. We had no examples before this. Maybe our parents, maybe some of us, not even our parents, knew how to really love. Man, I tell you, growing up in the Sheffield house was like, it was guilt central. It was, it was goes back generations of guilt into love. I'll love you if, but if you don't, I don't love you no more. Kind of, you know, just don't know what real love is. We ought to know how much God loves us because we've put our trust in his love. So we're living now that we have trusted Christ. We're living to learn his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And that was Jesus' plan. If you remember, he prayed to the Father in John 17. He said that, that they may be in us as we're in them. And that you may show them that you love them as much as you love me. See, that's God's plan that we may walk in this love. We may live in this love. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Have you, have you noticed anybody in this church that you just say, I know they walk with Jesus because of their love for one another? the way they treat people. You can just tell they're not selfish and only thinking about mine, me. That's how our love grows more perfect. We learn to live in Christ. So, he will not, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Oh, that would be, that would be terrible. To be, te you know... You come to the end of your life, however that may transpire, 
It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment, right? And you come to the end of that and you stand before Christ and you go, uh-oh. Because you know you haven't lived in Christ. You haven't lived like Christ. But on the other hand, oh, what a beautiful picture. Jesus. I wasn't perfect. I'm, I'm my worst critic. What about you? Man, I tell you, I don't know how he puts up with me because in the first 30 minutes of a prayer time, I'll be, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know, I admit, I know the closer I get, the more I realize how deprived I am. The closer I get to his holiness, the worse I feel about myself. But then he begins to turn it around on the inside of me, and I say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I begin to work, understand it ain't about me, it's about Christ in me. You know? Yeah, and, I be, and, and through that, I see his love, and I stop trying to be something I'm not. I learn to stay in my own lane and learn to enjoy life. You know, you can really take the pressure off if you live in the love of God. The more you know the love of God, the more you live. That was pretty good. <laughs> That's where life is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the more you live in him, the more life you have, the more love you have. I want to hear well done. I want to, I want to run and fall at his feet. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to be able to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To be led by God is to be led by love. That's the title of today's message, part four, Led by Love. And I believe we're wrapping up this series today. Next week I'm going to get to that sermon uh, on fear and anxiety, if the Lord's willing. One that uh, I believe we need in this crazy time we're living in. But back to today, Jesus leads by the two greats. The great commandment and the great commission. If you're going to follow Jesus, those are going to be two great things in your life. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the hard part, the very last line of that. <laughs> it's a lot easier to love somebody you know how good they are to you. But it's not so easy to love that neighbor who haven't learned all these love principles like you with your little halo on <laughs> You know, but the great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. To, in other words, to tell people about this love, this light. We call it light sometimes. We call it love. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the love of the world. We're sharing these things with the dark world. That's the great commission. And we're, we're trying to help other people say, I need to, to live in that love and to be led by that love. So the great commandment is being led by love. And the great commission is us leading by love. It's a natural step. Like on our banner here, we each come and learn that we may go and teach. This isn't all for you. 
You know, that's what's wrong with the American church today. Is it all about me, me, and me? My four and no more. Just I come to church to get. You know, church is just something to benefit my life. But really, this is a filling station. We come here to be filled up so that we can overflow during the week. That we can give out. To be led by love and then to go out and lead by love. 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is. You see, there's a real love. It's not a Hollywood kind of love. It's a real love. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We all say amen. We all say amen. So what is it like to be led by Jesus? And what would our lives look like if we were leading like Jesus? Now, you know, Jesus is God. And God is love. We've already established that. So if we were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, it would be reasonable exercise to exchange the word love for Jesus. Would it not just for an exercise and seeing it in a new way? It says love is patient and kind. We could say Jesus is patient and he's kind. Hadn't he demonstrated that with you? He certainly has with me. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable. And Jesus keeps no records of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith. He is always hopeful, and he endures through every circumstance. And these principles would change our lives tremendously. You know who's irritable? Self, because self wants its way. I mean, I'm going to be, I don't get it. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be mad. Oh, they're getting their way. I'm jealous. Oh, I get my way today. I'm boastful. (laughs) And I'm keeping a record of your wrongs. I know what you did to me back in 1976. But because of these things, we lose faith. We're not hopeful anymore. I'm just telling you, self is the enemy of love. They're two opposites. Now, you need to learn to love yourself so that you can love others, but you don't need to live in self. You need to live in love. You live in love, self will be taken care of. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. But we got to get the priorities straight. If we follow after love, if we're led by love, if we're leading by love, we're good. 
We're going to live free lives. Self is not going to hold us down. It'll be almost like this gravity of this earth couldn't hold us down. It'll be like all of a sudden I start coming up off the ground. What would happen if y'all saw me start flying? (laughs) I've had dreams I flap my wings and fly. But it's almost like you can in the spirit if you're led by love. You know how good it feels when you do something good for somebody else. And, we, and there's been times in your life, like in mine, when I did something and I thought to myself, I'm going to do that all the time. I've been on outreaches where we knocked on doors and shared the love of God and seen people saved. And then, then I'll, you know, the time is up for us to finish, you know. It's like we, we American Christians will give God one hour every seven years, you know. And when that time, oh, I'm, we're through. We've got to go back to the car. You know, can't knock on that last door on the street because our time is up. But, you know, you'll feel like, oh, this is what I was created to do. Now I go to get something to eat, and I'm, I'm telling people about Jesus at the fast food restaurant. You know, I'm like, why don't I do this all the time? But then I met, wake up the next day, and it's like self has taken back control. And it'll be another seven years before I'm... Get outside of myself to do something good. But no, we got to make a practice of following after love. Anybody agree? We're led by love so that we can lead by love. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show it by our actions. You know, love is a verb. It's an action verb. Love gets in the fight. Love... I will admit. You see how I'm always telling on myself. I'm always telling on myself because you know what? I believe if I will be honest, maybe it would spur somebody else to be honest. Because we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, I go to church, I'm a loving person, but you ain't got any actions to prove it. We can say we can lie to ourselves. But what was I finna say? Maybe I was good, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I did forget. Maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. So we're, I'm a, I just was thinking about some things that Jesus did that showed how much he loved folks. First of all, he gave up everything he had in heaven to come rescue us. We take that lightly. He was a spirit in heaven. He had everything. The glory, lived in the glory of God. And he gave up the glory of God to come and be limited as a human being, one of us, his creation. And humble himself, even to be born in a manger, you know, and to live a life of poverty and trials and tribulations as one of us, just to go through this when you didn't have to. Would you do it for anybody? That's, that's love. That's an example of laying down my comfort. And I can only imagine the comfort of heaven. I imagine you have loved ones up there right now that you was wishing that they'd come back down. And they're saying, please don't pray for me to come back down there. I'll never want to come back down there again. This is the, that's the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going. I'm living in life. You see what I'm saying? But he was living in life. There was nothing he lacked or needed. But love compels him. We see that every decision Jesus makes is based on his love for us. 
and he showed us what love does. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, I think it is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ came down here for us. Before he died. Christ lived for us before he died for us. That might be even a more amazing thing. And some of us say, I'll die for you, Jesus. But are we even living for him? We might want to get that straight first. We might want to start living like we even acknowledge him, that we're not scared that people will know. What do we have to be embarrassed of? That's crazy, isn't it? I think about him talking to that woman at the well, that Samaritan woman. You would think, a holy God. What's he, he, he will have nothing to do with somebody that's living in sin right now. Living with a man that she's not married to. And she's had five husbands before. She's messing this whole thing up. There's plenty of good people that he could go to. But he, just, he said, I didn't come for the well. I came for those who know they're sick. And newsflash, we're all sick. But that was just an example of Jesus, the way he sees people. He saw that woman at the well. He cared about her. And he talked to her. He loved on her. And, and before she left, she left her water jar, forgot about everything. She says, I'm going to go tell everybody about this man who knows everything I ever did. What was she saying? He knows everything about me, but he still loves me. He knows all my junk. He knows my thoughts that nobody else does. That I don't even tell my spouse. He knows everything. My depravity. My secret sins. He knows everything. I can sense that he knows everything about me. And yet he still loves me. You know when he touched the leper to heal? He could have said, oh, oh, now, everybody, everybody else was backing off. I can guarantee you, 10 feet, 10 feet, you got to stay back, man. That's contagious. This poor leper, I don't know how long this guy had been a leper, but say a couple of years, you, were, you know, guessing. He hasn't experienced human touch this entire time. They're quarantined for life. What would be your deepest need? You get used to the, the sores and the, you know, I still got six fingers left. You know, you get used to that stuff. But as humans, we're designed for touch, for compassion and interaction. I think his deepest need was that Jesus touched him. Of course, there was healing in Jesus' touch. The man was made whole, but he could have said, you know, let me heal you from a distance. But Jesus is not pushing you away. He's not saying you stay over there till you get right, until you're worthy to come into my presence. He's saying you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. And I want you to feel my love. I want it to be real. I want to touch your life. He meets not only 
our emotional and spiritual needs. He meets our physical needs. He cares about the condition of your life. When he preached to the 5,000 men and however many women and children that there were, he also fed them. He cared about their natural hunger. So he takes care of their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. And Jesus showed emotion. Jesus understood emotion. In the church, you know, there's a lot of emotionalism that, that we talk about in the worship. You know, some people, you shouldn't raise your hands. You shouldn't shout to the Lord. You shouldn't do all. That's undignified. And then there's, some, you know, some excess in everything. But Jesus showed us he understands that emotions are part of who we are. It is a big part of who we are. We should not de deny our emotions. We should not sit on our hands and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We should be emotional about things. <laughs> Jesus wept. What was he weeping over? Lazarus was dead? I, maybe. He knew he was fixing to bring him back to life. Was he weeping because the, the women were crying and their heartbreak? Was he weeping because of the doubt and unbelief all around him? Was he just weeping at the condition of the earth? What's going on down here? But he was not afraid to show his emotion. And I want you to know Jesus is emotional about you. It says he sits up there and he, and he sings over us. He sings over you. He makes intercession for you. Jesus personally prays for you. And I believe he does so with an emotion. And I believe there's times I can almost feel him laughing at the silly stuff I do. <laughs> but I believe there's also times I've made him cry. And when I understand that relationship, how, how could you have a relationship without emotions? Love is an action verb, yes, we know that. But it is also an emotion. Jesus valued those that no one else did. Can you imagine one person on the planet, maybe, maybe their mother, I don't know, there was two demoniacs in the tombs. There's, in two different tellings of the gospel, one only mentions one, but there's two in another. And these two guys were running around in the tombs, cutting themselves and howling at the moon and just cutting up, full of demons. Anybody in their right mind, you would say, is going to walk way around that graveyard. Not going over there. Them crazy guys. I didn't see anybody bringing them food, ministering to them. I don't think anybody in the world cared about these two demoniacs. Except Jesus. And he, he traveled all the way across the Sea of Galilee to get to them. If you read the account, I I'm pretty sure it says that he got in a boat and they went across. And they got to the other side. He got them in their right minds. So much so that they wanted to go with him and tell other people about Jesus. Then he got back in the boat and he went right back to where he came from. It was a special trip that he made to love on two guys that nobody else in the world cared a hoot about.
nothing. They cared nothing about it. Are you loving anybody? Are you willing to love anybody that really offers you no value back? Maybe even offers you harm. See, love will go take you to a new level. And when Jesus says, love your enemies, that can become real to you. And there's no greater witness in all of the world than when God's people love like that. That's unexplainable. It's not in the human nature. You can't do that on your own. It is the only way people, the world can understand that is that that God must be real. If this guy came up in the church and shot nine people while they were praying and then they forgave him, there's, the, there's no other way to explain that. This love of God must be real. And it's powerful. Jesus saw people when they were walking through the city and the crowds were pressing in on him. We little Zacchaeus, a little short man, climbed up in the tree so he could see Jesus. Nobody else cared about Zacchaeus in the tree, but Jesus did. He saw, he saw little old Zacchaeus. And he stopped the procession to go talk to him and tell him, we're going to eat at your house tonight, Zacchaeus. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about Hagar, Sarah and Abraham's handmaiden. And when Hagar was pregnant, Sarah was very mean to her to the point where Hagar ran off. She just couldn't take it no more. It's just exasperated. I, I don't care where I'm going. I'm just going. You ever been there? Just ran into the wilderness, got out there, didn't know where the water was, no food to eat. Nobody knew where she was at. She just wasn't where she was, and that's all she cared about. But then she got out there, probably getting a little scared. And then the Lord comes to her. And you know what she called him that day? She said, you are the Lord that sees me. Jesus is the Lord that sees you in your deepest pain. Ed, Jesus sees you, brother. You're going through it. But he, I want you to know he sees you. What are you going through? It may not look like it all the time. It may feel like I've been abandoned. But you haven't. Jesus sees you. And maybe he's trusting you with this. For some purpose we don't even know. Jesus saw people. And he heard people. And amongst that same loud, boisterous crowd. All the people were saying, shut up, you two blind men. You're getting on our nerves. And Jesus said, oh, stop the procession again. I hear somebody, I hear my name. I hear somebody calling me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes we pray and it doesn't seem like we get any answer. He still hears. He still hears. His ears are open to the cries of the righteous. God hears your prayers. Don't forget that. Sometimes life can seem like you're in that wilderness. Life can seem like you're blind. And you're just going, bumping your way through life. And, and I, don't, I can't see my way forward. But Jesus sees you and Jesus hears you. And Jesus 
heard the people and he felt people. The woman with the issue of blood in that same crowd sneaks up, crawls up. I don't know how she got there, but she said, but if I must, but if I can just only touch the hem of his garment. And I don't know if she tugged on it. Would it matter? Or if she just lightly brushed against the hem. But she in her heart had faith that if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I may be made healed. Healed. And she's been suffering this blood ailment, ailment for 12 years. And Jesus is walking in this crowd and he stops the procession. These people are like, come on, Jesus, we're stopping, we're going, you know. Because he's hearing and seeing and feeling people. Maybe that's why it's taking so long for him to get back because he's not willing that any should perish. He's trying to, that all should come to repentance. He don't want to. He's not willing that any should perish and go to hell. When, when we have the words of eternal life, when love has already been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, when we have the light of life, we have the words of eternal life. We're supposed to be down here sharing it with everybody, leading by love. And he wants us to stop the procession and recognize, see people, hear people, and feel their pain. Jesus said, somebody touched me. And Peter said, well, everybody's touching you. You're in a crowd. But he says, no, I feel somebody's longing, somebody reaching out to me in the midst of a crowd, somebody's pain. I, I felt virtue leave me because it's going to come out when you reach for it. When faith, when you believe Jesus, it, it just comes out naturally. He said, your faith has made you whole. Jesus felt the woman's pain. He put himself on the line for us. When the Pharisees threw the woman caught in adultery at his feet, he could have said, ooh, this is a tough one. If I say that, yeah, the law does say stone this woman, then, you know, I'll please these people. That's what they want. Or maybe they don't want that. Maybe they just want to, me to say something else so that they can stone me. You see, Jesus' life is on the line at this point. So Jesus says, let him without sin cast the first stone at this woman. Jesus says, I know what the law says, but I come to show you mercy triumphs over judgment. That love covers a multitude of sins. And I am the love of the world. So if you think you're all that, you've never sinned. You go ahead and cast the stones at the ones who have. And I can, I can only wonder what Jesus thinks when he looks at a church that has turned self-righteous. And turns people away at the door. You can't come here. You're not dressed right. You got tattoos. You smell like smoke. You still cuss. The church is not supposed to be cast in stones, is it? said the elders left first 
At least they had a little bit more wisdom than the younger guys. The younger guys was like, I don't know, but I want to throw a stone at somebody. But as you get older, you become more self-aware, don't you? Yeah, I, I've had 58 years to get this right, and I ain't got it right yet. And I, I remember what Jesus said. He said, those who show mercy will be shown mercy. And because I know the mercy that I need, I want to make sure to, I'm heavy on mercy. Sometimes I look at, at my ministry and I wonder, should I be like some other preachers? When people come to me in their sin, I should tell them they better get, get right or they're going to burn or, or whatever. I, I should be really hard on people. But because I know the mercy God has shown me, almost, I just can't help it. I just begin to tell them about the love of God. And you know the way that you're going to be able to overcome sin anyway? It's not trying harder. Not being ashamed of yourself. It's because the love of God will compel you to be a better person. It's only in Christ that we find any love or any ability to love. It's in Christ and in His love. So... He put his life on the line for this adulterous woman. We see that Jesus did something amazing, God on the earth. On his last night, on the night that he was betrayed, you know he was thinking about what was coming because we know that in the, later in the garden that night, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was in agony over his humanity was like, I know what's about to happen. I've read Psalms 22. He had read the scripture that says what's about to come. Those dusty dogs of death were about to surround him and kill him, crucify him. He knew that was coming. But on that night, instead of, all right, guys, y'all leave me alone. I, I've, got a, I've got a lot to worry about. He gathered the ones he loved together. They shared a meal together. And he, his, his main concern was that, the, that you carry on in this love that I've taught you. You carry on. This is how you love one another. Then he took his coat off and put on a robe and filled a basin with water. And he began to go around taking the sandals off his the dirty, filthy, dusty, muddy sandals off his disciples' smelly feet and begin to wash them one at a time. And when he, when he got to Peter, Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. I, no, this is not right. We should be washing your feet. And, and everything that Jesus does doesn't make sense. <laughs> this love stuff doesn't make sense to the world. But he washed his disciples' feet on the night he was betrayed. And you know who else he washed? Judas. The one who would betray him. Jesus was on his knees washing his feet and loving him. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. 
what love can do and what love will do. And love will do these kind of things through you. This is who you are. You're not that dead old man that you buried in baptism anymore. Self-centered, self-thinking, self-imploding person. If your life is falling apart, I can guarantee you it's not Jesus doing it, it's self. If you will get back to being led by love, your life will get in order. And you won't care about the things you don't have anymore. It won't be about building this kingdom down here. It'll be about building God's kingdom. And you'll be saving up treasures in heaven, which are eternal, not the little junk down here we're, we're trading our inheritance for. And you'll lay down on your pillow at night and you'll say, this being like Jesus stuff just gives me such joy and peace. Gives me the peace that passes all understanding and keeps my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ. I'm in love with Christ. I'm in love with God. We're in this. We're in. I'm in. I'm in. And there's no better feeling in the world. When we talk about fear and anxiety next week, there, you've got a hiding place. There is a hiding place for you. There is a high tower. There is a refuge. There is a shield for your life. His name is the Lord Jesus. In first, I mean, uh, John 13, 15, after Jesus washes their feet, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done unto you. Sometimes we think the greatest in the kingdom of God, man, there's going to be those famous evangelists, there's going to be the pastor, there's going to be the, you know, the person that's seen, this great worship leader or somebody. But God's kingdom's upside down. It could be you because you loved. You cared about those nobody else cares about. You saw, you felt, you heard. And you were aware of other people's plight and suffering. You were sympathetic. You were compassionate. You had empathy. These are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus carried a cross we didn't, he didn't deserve. He carried the cross meant for me. And he didn't want to. In the garden he says, if there be another way. His humanity was saying, there's got to be another way. Maybe that I really don't want to do this. Have you ever been to that point in your life where you know love is telling you to do something, but you really don't want to do it? God, if I do that, if I give them that car, if I do this, then, then I won't have. I won't. I'll have to. I. But Jesus carried a cross he didn't deserve. And he says in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one li one's life for his friends. You know, love requires, it, it's cost. It's not just a feeling, be warm and be fed. It's, it cost. Man, that's going to be a couple hundred dollars if I do that. Or it's, you know, I'm going to have to give up my 
Tuesdays. Mike, taking care of your mom is a selfless act. It's love. It's giving up a portion of your life for your mom, for, for your friends. The greatest in the kingdom of God is not going to be every, somebody who acquired the most money and the most toys and says, hey, look at me. They're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be the one who gave it all away. What did Jesus leave behind other than a robe that they split in two? And his sandals, I guess. Did he have an inheritance to leave? His inheritance, he left us his love. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters in this life. Is that we love. John 13, 34, Jesus said, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Are you living a life of self or are you living a life of love? If you're living a life of self, then I would say, me too. We all are. Self is such a powerful force. But love is more powerful. And you can live a life of love tomorrow, and then the next day you wake up and self is there again. And we can get discouraged that I, I love sometimes and I don't love other times. At least you're loving. At least you're trying. I'm just here simply as a messenger from God. That's all I am. And probably not a very good one. But I, the message today is keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep loving. If you don't get it right, if you only give a little bit, it's better than not giving it all. That's how people know that you're his disciples, that you keep on loving. You, you yell at them sometimes, and then you say, I'm sorry. And then love them again. Family, right? Just keep trying. Keep living out of that love on the inside. Keep choosing to follow love. Ephesians 5, 2, and I'll close. Life, uh, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So on that day, on Judgment Day, what will your life smell like? Will it be a pleasing aroma to God, Mike? Jesus is going, oh, Mike, man. You know you thought you were doing that and nobody saw, but I see, Mike. Come on in and into the joy of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. 
We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.